Happy New Year. That's good. Now we got that out of the way. Don't have to do that anymore. That's, um, my wife and I gave up late night Chris, uh, New Year's Eve stuff a long, long time ago. So um, anyway, if you did that, wipe the sleep out of your eyes as we, uh, as we turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, what I've entitled Reasonable Service. It's interesting, uh, just before I get started, um, it's interesting having not only Christmas on a Sunday, but also New Year's on a Sunday. It doesn't happen that often. Uh, But one of the interesting uh, repercussions of that is that this year there's actually 53 Sundays in 2023, so it's kind of an interesting, interesting phenomena that happens occasionally. Romans chapter 12 is one of my favorite passages. It is one of the passages that I, perhaps uh, one of the first passages that I learned, maybe right after John 3.16, and if you have not committed it to memory, I'd encourage you to do that. I'd encourage you to mark it in your Bible. Um, I would encourage you to master the the concepts of it. Um, I hope today is not the first time that you have engaged this passage. It is is a fairly well-known passage. And so let's just take a moment and, and read just these first two verses. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Father, we ask your hand of blessing as we open up your word this morning. We thank you for what you will accomplish in and amongst us. Thank you for the opportunity to uh, engage your word and to, to think through these truths. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Romans chapter 12 is, in the book of Romans, is a major shift. The first 11 chapters deal with doctrine. It's not an unusual pattern in Paul's books. And beginning now at verse uh, chapter 12, we have a practical section. So we have doctrine preceding practice. And and that is a that is a very important concept to understand in our in our Christian life is that what you believe precedes what you do and and what you believe will will work itself out in in how you live your life and so it's important to have in place not not right practice but really, it's important to have in your life, first of all, right thinking, right doctrine. And, and so Paul demonstrates this. And as we, as we think about this, this passage, it, it begins in, in chapter 12, verse 1, with, with therefore. I beseech you, therefore. Now, the old saying is that when you see a therefore, you need to look and see what it is what it's there for. And what, what we find is that in the book of Romans, there are actually four therefores that are found through the book of Romans. 
And I would suggest to you it actually provides a, a format for how you could outline the book of Romans. And so we're not, we're not going to turn to these passages, but the first one is found in chapter 2, which, which really gives us an emphasis, but in chapter 1 and chapter 2, gives us an emphasis on, on sin. Chapter 5 really gives us an emphasis on salvation. The third, therefore, is in chapter 8, which is an emphasis on sanctification. Now in chapter 12, the fourth, therefore, is really about service. And I want us to understand that this passage challenges us to take faith to its logical conclusion. If we are going to believe that that God indeed has saved us from sin as in, and is in the process of sanctifying us, that we are, we are changing from what we were to what God wants us to be, then there is a reasonable process that is engaged. And that's really what Romans 12, 1 and 2 really challenges us with. Now, it's possible that when you were saved, you understood all of the commitments that God would make on your life. I doubt it. I doubt that you understood everything that God was going to ask of you. And so what this, what this passage really challenges the believer to do is, is to conform our lives each and every day to what God's expectations are for us. Now, as I was, uh, as I was a, uh, a, a young lad, I accepted the Lord as a, as a child. You know, I knew enough to be saved. I knew, I knew that, that, that Christ had died for me. I knew that I didn't want to go to hell. I knew that I was a sinner and and that in Christ there was salvation. And so as a, as, at a very early age, I grew up in a Christian home, at a very early age, I received Christ as my Savior. But as a young child, I, I didn't understand all the claims that Christ would make on my life. I didn't understand that. And I would say even as, a, as an adult, if you received Christ as an adult, you probably didn't understand everything that Christ was going to ask of you either. When I was a teenager, uh, there was in the, in the 70s and, and prior to that, there was uh, very commonly preached, and what I think is still an appropriate process today, there was a process uh, uh, that was called dedication. And so I was challenged as a teenager, and I'm not sure but what this might have been the passage that was used, I was challenged to to give my life completely and wholly to Christ. Now, I was already saved. It wasn't that I didn't know the Lord. But, but it was very helpful process in my life as a, as a teenager to decide uh, and to make, a, to make a choice, to make a reasonable choice to serve the Lord in any way that he wanted me to serve him. And so I, as a, as a teenager, I gave my life wholly to the service of the Lord. Now, I, did, I had no idea what the Lord wanted me to do. In fact, when I was a freshman, a few years later, when I was a freshman going to faith, 
I had, I had no concept, really, of what I was doing there. I didn't know why God brought me to faith. But, but, but understand that I was willing to do whatever God would ask of me, whatever, whatever direction he wanted, he wanted to take me, I was, willing, I was willing to do that. And I think at the core of this passage, at the core of what follows in Romans chapter 12 through 16, in this practical section of this great, great book, what, what God asks of us is that we would do whatever he wants us to do and to do it willingly and to do it with, with, with joy. So I want you to think with me as we open up these verses. We're going to not see everything that's here, but we're going to try to, to run through as quickly as we can. But letter A, I want you to see there, first of all, is a decision for service. There is a decision for service that we are, we are asked to make. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. First of all, it is a, it's a critical service. The audience here that Paul is speaking to is brethren. I beseech you, therefore, brethren. He's not talking to the unbeliever. He's talking to those who have already received Christ. And it is, a, it is a, an earnest request, is I beseech you. The ESV uses the word appeal. There is, there is a request that Paul is making that you, I would say, make this decision. And the basis of it is upon the mercies of God. Well, what are the mercies of God? He's just taken 11 chapters to describe that. He's taken 11 chapters of one of the greatest theological treaties to to describe God's great mercy, his grace, his love that was shown to us in the cross. And so on the basis of that, he, he makes this appeal that we would present your body um, a living sacrifice. The idea of presenting is, is, is yielding. It's the same word that's used in Romans chapter 6, verse 13. It has to do with a choice or a decision. God saves us, but he doesn't make us do what he wants us to do. We, we, we have a choice. We, we can choose to serve him, we can choose to please him, or we can go our own way. We, could, we can do what, what, what our will wants and what our flesh wants. And, and what Paul says to us here, this is, a, this is a critical choice. It's an important choice that you present your bodies now, he, he goes on secondly and describes this. This is not only a critical service, but it's a sacrificial service. He describes it with our bodies. He says, and is saying with our bodies, interestingly here, it's, it's outward. It's manifested in what we do. It's our, it's our, our physical presence. It's visible. It's complete. The idea of it being a sacrifice, I think Paul is intentionally drawing on the Old Testament concepts of sacrifice. 
And we, we understand that the Old Testament was consumed with sacrifice. The Old Testament system was consumed with sacrificial system. Now, we do understand that in the Old Testament sacrifices, that those animals that were offered to the Lord gave their all, right? In fact, all of, all of, the, all of the animal sacrifices in the Old Testament, there are many different varieties of them, all of the animal sacrifices had one thing in common. They all gave their life. They gave everything they had to be that sacrifice. And that's really the image that, that uh, Paul is giving for us today. We, we are to be a sacrifice like the Old Testament sacrifice gave everything. We are to give everything. We are to, we are to give our all. Now you understand, you, you perhaps know the story of, of the chicken and the pig. Okay, you with me? A chicken and a pig talking about breakfast. And it was a ham and egg breakfast. And they were talking about the levels of contribution that each one was making in that, in that meal. And obviously the hen doesn't make the same level of contribution in that meal that the pig is making, right? I mean, the, the, you know, the, 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 the hen, all he's giving is, all she is giving is, is, a, is an egg, where the pig, in order to make a valuable contribution, is giving his life. The, the contributions are not the same. And I fear that so many of us, as we live, as we live our Christian life, we, 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 we think of our contribution to the Lord in terms of a chicken. I'll give once in a while. I'll serve once in a while. I'll do this when it's convenient. I'll do it when, when it suits me. And yet what, what, what Christ asks of us is that the contribution that we make is like the contribution that the pig makes. We are, to, we are to give our all. We are to be a sacrifice for the Lord. Now, there are three terms that are, that are used to describe this. It is living, holy, and acceptable. These three terms. Now, the first is living. You know, I appreciate that Paul describes the sacrifice as a living sacrifice, the idea is not different from what the pig is contributing to the meal, except that we don't have to die. We are, we are to give everything in sacrifice to the Lord, like those Old Testament sacrifices gave everything that they had. Only God allows us to live, be a living sacrifice. I'm thankful for that. But at the same time, I would be willing to give my own life for the Lord. But he doesn't ask all of us, all the time, to die for him. But what he does ask us to do is to live for him. We are to be a living sacrifice. Interestingly, it is secondly described as a holy sacrifice, one that is set apart, 
one that is completely dedicated to the purposes of God. And then it is, thirdly, it's acceptable. It is received by God. Not only is it to be, our, our, is our life to be set apart, our bodies, our, our outward external functionings are, are to be dedicated to the Lord, but they are to be accepted by God, living, holy, and acceptable. And then thirdly, in this decision for service, it is described as a reasonable service. It is rational. It is logical. The word service here actually relates to the temple service. It, is, it, is, it has the idea of even a worshipful service. The sacrifice is reasonable. It's not, God is not asking us to do something that is outside the realm of what everyone can do. It is, it is an opportunity for us to take everything that we are and give it to the Lord and say, I want you to use everything that I am for your honor and glory. Now, what if I was to ask you, would, if the Lord asked you to go into his service, if the Lord wanted you to be in the ministry, would you be willing to do that? Now, it's interesting. I asked our church in New Jersey. Our church was mostly new believers, new Christians. Would you, would you be willing to do that? And our, our church in New Jersey thought about it. They actually had to think about that. They had actually had to process that. And most of the people in our church would say, yes, if the Lord asked me to do something that is extraordinary, I would be willing to do that. So then I ask him this question. How about your children? If, you, if the Lord asked your children to do something unusual, extraordinary, would you let them do that? Now, I'm not trying to throw my church in New Jersey under the bus, but I'll tell you that the response was very different it was a very different response. Where I might make that decision for myself, I'm not, I'm not, I would never ask my children to do that because I have expectations for my children. I want my, I want my children to go to the certain schools. I want my children to have certain expectations for their life. But I would say to us that as we think about everything that we are needs to be a sacrificial offering to the Lord. And that includes my life. It includes my wife's life. It includes my children's life. I'm going to give all of it to the Lord. And that is, not only is it critical, not only is it sacrificial, but it is also a reasonable service that results ultimately in worship to the Lord. It's a decision for service. And that choice, that, that choice that God asks us to make is one that we need to do willingly and, and discerningly and decisively for Christ. So not only is it a decision to serve, 
But it also is, secondly, it's a decision for change. It's a decision for change. In verse, in verse 2, Paul says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So first of all, we are to decide. So verse 1 calls for a decision. What is this decision? Well, we, in verse 2, we are first of all to decide not to be conformed to the world. Not to be conformed to the world. We get the English word scheme from this word to conform. It's not the way we use the idea scheme, you know, as a, in English it really means like a plot. That's really not the idea of what Paul is talking about here. It's more, it's more like the plan or design. Uh, we, we, use, we do have an English word that is similar to this, is the idea of schematic. You know, a schematic is a, is a written-out plan or design. That's really the, the idea behind this. We, we, are, we are not to be conformed. We are not to fit into the schematic of the world. The world has a plan for you. The world, the world wants you to be like them. And, and what Paul is saying is don't become a schematic, a, a, a design of the world. Now what is interesting here is the emphasis, again, in verse 1 was on body, which is external. In, in this phrase is also the external. Don't, don't allow the external aspect of your life to be conformed to the world. I like Philip's translation of this, of this phrase. He says, do not let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. That's really, that's really what, the, what the world wants to do, is it wants you to look like them. And the world will do everything in its power to, to, to fit you so that you look like them. But I want us to understand that this idea of world, or it's literally the word age, has, has intentions on you. It has intentions on your family. It has intentions on your children. In 2 Corinthians 4.2, we understand that Satan is the god of this age. Under Satan's control, it, he is the prince and power of the air. The dominion of of uh, Genesis chapter 1 was ceded to, to Satan in, in, in the fall. And we understand that the, world, the world's agenda is active and wants you. So I'm going I'm to turn to, keep your finger here, but I'm going to turn to Ephesians chapter 4. I want you to see what, the, what Paul in another letter describes the world like. Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. So this is the this is the unsaved 
perspective? How, what, what, is their, what is their thinking like in verse 18? Number one, having their understanding darkened. Number two, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. And number three, because of the blindness of their heart. That's, that's how the world walks. That's how the world thinks. It has, it has everything to do with walking away from who God is and what God is about. That's what the, that's what the world is like. And, and this age is about pressure. I don't know if you feel pressure at work, if you feel pressure in the store, if you feel pressure watching, watching a television. There is, a, there is a, a pressure that the world has when it comes to morals and ethics and education, finances, psychiatry, religion, dress, music, drink, pleasure, entertainment. What you hear, what you see, what you read, what you eat, all of that makes a difference when we are not going to be conformed into the scheme of the world. Paul is not talking about a small difference. He's talking about a radical difference, a radical change in how we approach the world around us. What is, it, what is absolutely amazing is that within the Christian realm, we understand that the divorce rate among Christians is virtually identical to the percentage of the divorce rate in the rest of the world. That, that to me, if, if we're going to talk about what the state of the church is like, what the state of Christianity is like, that's an astounding figure. Because it shows that we are being, as a, as a, as a people, as, a, as people who are supposed to love and serve the Lord, we are being conformed into this age. We're not acting differently than them. We're acting just like they are. We are not to be conformed to the world, to the age. There's to be a radical change, a radical difference in how we process life. So not only are we to not be conformed, but Paul continues and he says we are to decide to be transformed. You, you, have, to, you have to make a conscious decision. I'm not going to live like the world but rather I'm going to be transformed. The word here back in Romans chapter 12 now, verse 2, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The English word that translates transformed is the word metamorphosis. You all understand the process of metamorphosis from a, from a, from a worm to a butterfly. A radical change, something that is extraordinary in biology, but that concept is applied here to our own Christian life. We are, we are to be radically changed into something else. This word is used three other times in the New Testament. Twice it's used in the 
in the transfiguration of Christ when his glory was was revealed. He was he was transformed from the appearance of a man to to have his glory revealed. That the word transformed is used uh, of, of, of Christ. But it's used a third time, interestingly, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, where we are be, to be transformed to be like Christ through the power of the Spirit. That's the transformation that is to take place in us. There is a, there is a change from what we were to what we are to be. And that is to be like Christ. Interestingly, that the change comes from the inside out. If you look at verse 2, it says, from the renewing of your mind. From the renewing of your mind. True change is never just outward. True change is never just, for example, conformity to rules. I work in an institution training people for the ministry that's well known for its rules. Now, they've, the rules have changed from 40 years ago when I was a student. The rules today are not the same, but they're still rules. We, we have sometimes communicated to our children, even to college students, we communicate to our children that somehow keeping the rules, doing, doing, following the, the, the thou shalt and thou shalt nots, that communicating that and, and somehow obeying that is Christianity. And, and we wonder why we've, we've, we're losing a generation of our, of our children when we communicate that to them. And we need to understand it's not it's not that there are there shouldn't be shouldn't be rules and shouldn't be um, things to do and things not to do. It's, I'm not I'm not suggesting that, but you must be very careful that it's not about serving the Lord. Being transformed is not about a list of do's and don'ts. It's about a renewing of our mind. It's about a changing how we think about about our circumstances, about our life, about the world around us. Ephesians 4, verses 22 and following. We'll not turn to that passage, but it talks about putting off and putting on. It's not, yes, there are things that we shouldn't be doing. But it's not just about not doing things, but it's about serving the Lord in the right way. Put off lying and put on the truth. There, there are, there are, there's a pattern that's found in the New Testament that is about renewing our mind and changing our thought process day by day by day, being more and more not conformed to the world, but being transformed by the word of God. What is interesting here is that Paul has talked about external, verse 1 he talked about the body, the external things. In, in verse 2 he talks about being conformed to the world, which is external things. Now he is changing it, he's talking about things that are internal, 
being obedient to the word, being empowered by the spirit. And I would tell you that this is a decision-making process. God asks you to make a choice. Are you going to believers? He's addressing believers. Are you going to, to, to allow your life to be a living sacrifice for the Lord? Which is, it's not only living, but it is holy, it is acceptable, it produces the right kind of worship or service for the Lord. Are you going to, as a believer, live like the world? Are you going to think like the world? Are you going to engage the world on the world's terms? Or are you going to make a choice to do something different? Are you going to decide to be transformed by the renewing of your mind? And I'll tell you, folks, that that process involves, it's, it can be very complicated in our lives. It, it, it might mean we need to change a job. It might need, mean we need to, we need to change, the, change friends. It might mean that we have to change the circumstances that are around us in order for those kinds of things to happen. It means, it means we, have to, we have to change the patterns of our life. But it doesn't begin by things that are outward. It begins by things that are inward, by the renewing of our mind. We need to begin to think differently about our circumstances and the things that are around us. There's a decision to be transformed. Finally, this morning, I want you to see, thirdly, a decision with results. A decision with results. And that is in verse 2, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I hope that our desire today is to do God's will. I'm going to, you don't need to follow me, but I'm going to turn to a couple of passages. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It's interesting that we actually have the express will of God stated for us in several places. For example, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. For this is the will of God. Now, when you see that phrase, you ought to, you, you ought to perk right up. You ought to say, okay, well, what specifically is the will of God? This is the will of God. Your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess your own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lust, passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God. Well, this is the will of God, that you, that you act with your physical body in a way that's honoring to the Lord. Chapter 5, interesting, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, And everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And it's possible that that phrase doesn't just refer to verse 18, giving thanks, but the other, the other imperatives that are found previously following verse 18 as well. But when we find that phrase, this is the will of God, we ought to, we ought to 
perk right up and pay attention. How about 1 Peter chapter 2? 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 15. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Now what I would suggest to you is here are three specific verses that that are directly instructing us in the will of God. But I would say to you that that the entirety of the scriptures are intended to demonstrate to us the will of God. And, 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 and we need to understand how do, we, how do you process the will of God in your life. And I, and I, think, I think that there is a, a will of God for each one of us. But I would say to you that the, the process of trying to find that will is, is, is not especially complicated. 99% of understanding God's will for your life is following the scriptures. And where we come into difficulty in trying to understand God's will, God's perfect, acceptable, and good will, when we come into trouble understanding that, it's oftentimes because we are not actually Uh, transforming by the renewing of our mind and actually following what God has actually told us to do. And I think if we will actually live the New Testament, God so directs our lives that you really don't have to worry about those decisions. I think God takes care of those things in our life. There are three terms in Romans chapter 12 to describe this will. It is good. It is acceptable. It is perfect. It is good in the sense that Joseph, who in, in Genesis chapter 50 had lived through what, what any reasonable person would call a, 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 a terrible family life, and a, and a terrible existence. Yes, he ends up being in, in, a, in a high place in the, in the court of Egypt. But, but how, does, how does Joseph process all of those events in his own life? He says, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And so the... the God's will for you is always good. Romans 8.28 uh, is a a promise. God works all things for good to those who love him, to those who are the called according to his purpose. And so there there is this sense in which if I serve the Lord, if I, if I want what God wants in my life, if I am going to follow his word follow his will, that's good. That's, a, that's, a, that's going to be, the, the results are going to be a good thing. Secondly, he calls it acceptable. 1 John 5, 3 tells us that his commandments are not burdensome. What the Lord asks us to do is not a challenge for us. It shouldn't be, a, it shouldn't, we shouldn't look at it as being, Oh man, I have to be a Christian again today. 
You know, that isn't, that isn't the point. That's not, the, that's not what, what the Lord is asking of us. It's acceptable. And then thirdly, it's perfect or complete. You can't improve upon what God's will is. Let's understand that God sees the big picture. God understands time from the beginning to, the, to eternity. That God, is, God is, is, is focused on sometimes greater accomplishments than just what's in my life. We don't have that perspective. And so we need to have the submission to God and say, your will is perfect. Your will is complete. I can't improve upon your will for my life. Now what I want to do, just as I, just as I conclude today, I want you to think with me about your life. I want you to think about what it is that you are doing, the choices that you make. There is, in this passage, there is an appeal to you to make changes in your life. There's an appeal here. There is, I beseech you, brethren, I am imploring you as Christians to change. You can resist that. As a believer, you can put the brakes on what God is doing in your life, and you can say, I'm I'm not going to choose those things I don't mind the world. I don't mind the things of the world. I don't mind, I don't mind being, being just a little conformed to the world. I don't mind just a few pieces of it. Christ asks us, in Romans 12, 1 and 2, to be a living sacrifice, to take everything that we are, everything that we ever will be, that includes our family, it includes our finances, it includes our time, it includes our abilities. Take all of that and say, Lord, it's yours. And I want, I want, it, I want, to, I want to be this sacrifice that is living, holy, and acceptable to you. And I'm going to step back. I'm going to choose to step back away from the world. I'm, I don't want the world... To, to, to affect my thinking, my spiritual life, my family, my, my goals. I'm going to step back away from the world. I'm not going to be conformed by the world. I'm not going to fit into its mold. But I want to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I, and I would encourage you today, are you willing to say to the Lord... Maybe you've done this before. Maybe you have never done this before. Are you willing to say to the Lord, Lord, everything I have is yours. Everything I am ever going to be is yours. My family is yours. My interests, my passions, my desires, my possessions, everything belongs to you. And at the end of this, I want to live my life according to your will. And it is for me, it is going to be good and acceptable and perfect. Let's pray.
Father, we ask today as we think of the, the challenge in a new year of serving you, Lord, we ask that this year would be a, a, a milestone in our growth spiritually and how we serve you and love you and care for you. Help it to be a milestone year in our family. And we ask, Lord, that you would bring honor and glory to yourself through all these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.